For some people, Sunday morning is all about the crossword puzzle in the New York Times. Maybe you count yourself among those folks. From what I have been told, they start off the easiest on Mondays and lead up to the hardest of the week on Saturdays. Sunday is supposed to be on a level somewhere around Thursday. Not the hardest, but not the easiest. This strikes me as so fitting because the riddles, the parables of Jesus we have today on a Sunday, seem to me to be about a Thursday. There are harder ones and there are easier ones. In the Gospel of Matthew, I'm pretty sure the hardest one and you won't hear this one read much in church because it's just so brutal. A king gives a wedding, and he has a banquet, and he invites people, and those who don't come, well, he has them killed, and their cities burned to the ground. And then it just goes downhill from there. (laughs) Not a pretty picture. There are easier ones. I think the parable of the sower is a little easier not just because it has a a solution given a few verses later, although as Carla mentioned last week, some speculation about the reliability of that interpretation, but it, it just seems a little easier. Now, that being said, I don't think these two are all that easy. I, I think they're hard enough, don't you? Here's the story of a man who finds treasure on somebody else's land, covers it over, goes and sells all that he has, and buys the land so he can own the treasure. And that says something about God. I mean, it might say something about ethics or real estate, but God? Or the second one, this pearl merchant, been looking all his life for the best pearl, finds it, sells everything he has, and now he owns the best pearl. Well, good for him. But what does that say about God? A few verses later, I love this. Jesus says at the end of a whole chapter of parables, have you understood these things? And the disciples, one word answer, yes. Although you got to think they were faking it. I mean, come on. They probably, you know, like to Jesus' face said, oh yeah, sure. And then when he turns around, I don't have a clue what the guy's even talking about. Why did we ever decide to follow him in the first place? He just keeps talking in riddles. I mean, seriously, it's hard stuff. What I love most about the parables is the ambiguity, though. And here's why. Because if the one who Matthew's gospel says is the son of the living God, if the one closest to God, when that one speaks of God, does so in riddles, does so in ambiguous ways, then what that has to say to us anytime we talk about God or things of God or the spirit or theological things... It has to be, well, less than settled. It just can't be that clear. It's hard. And this is not a clever ploy on my part. It's not like I'm going to mess things for a while and at the end I'll just fix it all. These are hard parables. Thankfully, I have three clues for us. Now, this is not clues like, you know, the answers in the back of the book. They're just clues. The first one is that we clearly know that both of them, both of these parables about the kingdom of heaven. It says so. 
kingdom of heaven is like this. And so we're off and running, right? Well, not exactly, because as it turns out, some don't like that phrase kingdom language, but more than that, this has nothing to do with heaven. How's that for throwing a little monkey wrench in the system? Well, here's the reason. The other gospel writers, when Jesus tells a parable, he starts with the kingdom of God. But because Matthew is Jewish and he writes to a Jewish congregation, he doesn't want to use the divine name. He doesn't want to say the name God. So he substitutes heaven. But the problem is that we hear heaven and we think, oh, after you die, it's where you go. It's up there. Wrong. That parable, these two, are about now. Some have suggested we translate it the God movement. The movement of God among us, well, it's like this. And then you have the two riddles. That's your first clue. That's all you get, first clue. Second clue. Probably uh, one of the best parable definitions ever was given by a British scholar in the early 1960s. And I love it. It's this long, long run-on definition. It's like crazy amount of sentences that begins with this phrase, at its simplest. And then he has just sentence after sentence after sentence. But he says, here's the two things you have to look for in a parable. You have to look for what is common in first century culture and what is shocking. In other words, read along and go, oh yeah, in first century, this makes sense, this makes sense. And then where is the rug pulled out? It makes perfect sense in the first century for day laborers to be digging in fields. It makes perfect sense for them to perhaps come upon some money buried because for many people that's how they banked. And it makes sense for a pearl merchant to find a big pearl. But among the many shocks, perhaps the most shocking is that they sell everything to acquire it. Now, are you familiar? Do you know what the word everything means in Greek? It means everything. It just means everything. So they sell their house. If they have a for sale sign, they sell the for sale sign. They sell the furniture. They sell the food in the pantry. They sell the pantry. They sell every single thing they have. The guy that finds the buried treasure, he sells his shovel. How's he going to dig it up now? He has nothing. And the pearl merchant sells everything, sells the donkey that gets him to marketplace, sells the pearl case where he puts them on display. He doesn't even have a case anymore. He doesn't have any other pearls. He only has this one pearl. This is so strange. The third clue is that we know it's the language of comparison. This is set next to that. The movement of God is like. It's the, it's the language of simile or metaphor. It's a comparison, right? It's like when I said, well, solving the, the riddles of Jesus is like solving the crossword puzzle. You know that I don't mean for you to get a pencil out and write in your Bible verse 8 down and verse 15 across. I mean, it's just a metaphor, right? But it, there's, there's something there. It's about solving. So what scholars have done is they said, well, if it's about some kind of comparison... What is it? And so they start guessing. They, some say it's about the great value. Great value. When, when I was in junior high, I remember we were playing ball across the street from where I live, baseball. And this man 
came across the street with a metal detector. Do you remember they used to sell these in the back of magazines? You put the little headphones on, you go along the ground. Well, I mean, baseball's fun, but buried treasure. This is awesome. So we throw the gloves down. We follow this guy all around the, the, the field there at the school, and he found a spoon and a nickel. It's not exactly buried treasure, right? It's not what I pictured. But in this parable, it is treasure. Treasure beyond imagination. Think back to your childhood. This is like the pirates, buried treasure. And so some have suggested that what the parables are saying is that becoming part of the God movement is to become part of something beyond your wildest imagination. Not that we get rich. That's missing the point of comparison. But that there is something of great value. Others say, no, 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 it's not that. It's the sacrifice they make. Because Matthew's gospel has Jesus, like the others, saying, give everything away, come follow me. Maybe it's that. Personally, this is just a hunch, but I think it's the finding. Both of them discover something. They find something, but they do it in entirely different ways. Did you notice that? The one guy is digging a hole, and he hears a different sound. You know, the shovel just makes a little different sound. And the next thing you know, it's treasure. It's kind of like, some say, it's the way that we come to God. The two parables are a contrast. That some people come to God, and it's almost by accident. He's just digging, and and the other one, he seeks pearls all his life. So they say, well, maybe that's the way we come to God. It kind of reminds me of the Antiques Roadshow. You ever watch that? You know, you stand in line. You got this clock that your grandmother brought over from Germany. It's just an old clunker. And, and you plop down in the chair. And you go, yeah, it's just an old clock. And the person touches it with their little pointer. And then finally comes the punchline. Do you have any idea what it's worth? No, don't. No, I have a clue. Well, I think conservatively at an auction, it would, and the next thing you know, they're rich. And I love the look on their faces. It's always like, oh my God, really? Seriously? Some people come to God, and it's, it's just not something they planned. I, I love the story, Elaine Pagels, she's a religion writer and professor of religion at Princeton University. I mean, she's a religion scholar, but the way she comes to God, it was almost by accident. Her son was diagnosed with a disease, terrible disease. On Sunday morning, she went for a jog. You know, clear the mind. Gray, chilly Sunday morning in Manhattan, and it starts to rain, so she just steps into the vestibule of a church. And the hymns and the prayers of the people wash over her. It's not like she got up in the morning and said, I'm going to find God today. It just happens. The pearl merchant sort of reminds me of more like the person who every day is on eBay and Craigslist looking for that set of china to match the one her grandparents gave her. You know, she just scout. It's like some people come to God and they are list makers. They don't just list things they're going to buy at the grocery store. They make spiritual lists. I'm going to read this. I'm going to visit these churches. I am going to find God. Maybe, maybe that's what they're about, the different ways we find God or get found.
I remember at the seminary when the professor of New Testament gave a great assignment. He said, your job is to create a parable. You had to write your own. I kind of thought it was funny, but it was really a great idea because you saw these students walking all around campus with a little notepad and a pencil. They're just trying to find something, you know. The kingdom of God is like... And they're just jotting them down. And then they'd come up with some kind of comparison. Then they would pare it down because these are small little riddles trying to figure it out. Kingdom of God, what's it like? What's it like? And then they came up with it. But, you know, it's one thing to be standing out in the parking lot of the seminary and say, oh, the kingdom of God's like a tree, but you've got to figure out what do you say next? What do you say? And how do you end a parable? This is not... This is not how I would end these two. Not that Jesus asked, but, I mean, if he had done a polling, like, how, okay, how many of you think it should end like this? No, I don't think so, Lord. No, no. How would you end them? I mean, if you could, if you could end them. When you think about it, that's what we're already doing. Trying to figure out how to end them. 